The Feminist Coach Academy podcast is proudly supported by Perk Digital, helping professional and entrepreneurial women amplify their message, build their body of work, and leave a legacy through podcasts. For more information about how podcasts can help you build your brand, visit perkdigital.com.au. Welcome to the Feminist Coach Academy podcast, where inclusive feminism, business, and coaching meet. This podcast is proudly brought to you by the co-founders of the Feminist Coach Academy, Naomi Arnold and Cameron Aaron. We are feminist life and biz coaches, both passionate about helping coaches, therapists, helping professionals, practitioners, and entrepreneurs integrate a feminist lens and perspective into their businesses, life, and client practice. On this podcast, we plan to help you do so. Now let's get started. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Before we get into it, just wanted to let you know that after we recorded this episode, we ended up recording a little segment um, that we added towards the end about the U.S. election and the results that have that came in and how it relates to this episode on what is feminism. So if you're interested in hearing that, make sure you stay till the end, but you're going to want to listen to the full episode to better understand how it relates to the results of the U.S. election. Okay, without further ado, let's get into it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to our first official episode of season three of the podcast. Cam here, and Nay is joining me today. Hey, Nay. Hi, Cam. Hi, all. So today's episode is an important one, and we are excited to chat more about it. And it's about, you know, we're going to be exploring what feminism is. And this conversation that we're having today has been inspired by hearing a lot of feminists, particularly a lot of white feminists, talk about and define feminism as gender equality. And we both think that feminism is so much more than that, and that we need to rework that definition as a movement, as a collective, as a community. And so we are inspired to come together to chat more about that. And I just want to say that we could talk endlessly about this, but we are really wanting to keep it on the shorter side. So, um, <laughs> so you will listen. And <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to try to keep it on the shorter side. So there's so much more we could explore with this topic, but we, we're going to try to get to the heart of the matter and really share our thoughts and our thoughts that we're sharing are based on feminists that we have learned from over the past decade or longer. Both of us have studied feminism in academia and have been lifelong feminists or 
you know, people interested in feminism and advocating for feminism for quite a while. And so we'll be drawing from feminists that we've learned from a long time ago when we were first studying feminism till till now, till feminists that are very now and talking about, you know, feminism now as well. So we'll be we'll be sharing definitions from those feminists and and sharing quotes and and ideas from folks that that we admire and that we can, you know, consider you know, our feminists that we look up to and follow and recommend to you as well. We have a pile of books next to us, don't we? (laughs) (laughs) Some of these fabulous feminists. Exactly. So I think, you know, we could just, we start with talking about this sort of, this definition, and I want to say it's like a white definition, right, of feminism, that feminism is gender equality. And it's a white definition because, well, because it doesn't take into account the intersections of oppression that one might experience, right? Because it's not just gender oppression that we experience, not just sexism. And when I say we, I just mean people, right? And so like Nay and I, we're both white and we don't experience racism, but there are plenty of folks who do, right? And so feminism has to account for that. It has to include the people of, you know, who experience multiple layers of oppression. And so it's really actually quite limiting. Feminism is limiting if we only talk about gender and we only define it based on gender. Mm, It's oppressive in itself when we define it in that way, isn't it? It leaves out a lot of factors, it leaves out a lot of isms. Yes. As you said, it dismisses race, it dismisses class, just for starters. And I mean, it feels like it's underpinned in the gender binary as well. So that's that's not the type of feminism that I want to advocate for. And I know it's not the type of feminism that you want to advocate for either. So Yeah. And as a listener, you probably, it's probably not the one that you want to advocate Mm -hmm. for either. Yeah, and I find um, it interesting as well, Cam, that, you know, we've had people go through our training who have said that they didn't identify as feminists when they enrolled. And by the end of the training, they, they did feel aligned with feminism. And I wonder if that's partly it too, because there's all these stereotypes and really oppressive approaches and definitions to feminism and and as we interrogate those and interrogate like the role that whiteness has played in them it's uh it gets a different energy to it doesn't it it does yeah it definitely does and there's a couple different you know reasons why folks won't identify might not identify with feminism within Mm -hmm. feminism right and one of those reasons is if you are a black person, if you're an indigenous person, First Nations or person of color, you might not identify within feminism because feminism, so much of feminism and the mainstream movements of feminism has focused solely on white women and the struggle that white women have faced, right? And leaving so many folks out of of the movement. And Mm -hmm. I assumed all those experiences were the same, hey? 
Right, exactly. When they're not, and we're all experiencing different layers of oppression and privilege. So that might be one reason that, you know, someone doesn't identify within feminism. That's very understandable. And another reason is that feminism has gotten a bad name for different reasons, because because it is challenging the status quo, because it is challenging oppression. You know, anytime you are challenging that, the dominant systems of oppression, it's not, you're not going to be popular, (laughs) right? Feminism has been like the F word, right? So feminists have had all kinds of negative stereotypes attached to them in order to silence us, right? So it can definitely turn people away for that reason, right? Folks are afraid to identify with it because they are afraid of rebelling against the status quo and and what we've been taught. It's got a messy history. I mean, when you look back in the history of feminism, not only is it historically messy, but even I think in more recent times, most of us well, maybe speaking for ourselves, I mean, we've seen examples of people who have proclaimed to be feminists and then a lot of harm and caused a lot of harm. And, and sometimes a lot of the things that they talk to uh, as being feminist values or even, you know, giving lip service to valuing things like diversity, that then when it comes to their own practice and actions, it doesn't always match up with that. So I can feel why there would be a mistrust there for people. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. And actually one that Bell Hooks points out, Bell Hooks is a Black feminist who's been writing about feminism for a long time now. And in her book, Feminist Theory from Margin to Center, which is one of the books that we highly recommend. It's in our core text list. You know, she actually talks about this, about identifying as a feminist too much and, you know, making it less about the identity and making it more about taking action, right? Just to paraphrase. And so in her book, she says, to emphasize the engagement with feminist struggle as political commitment, we could avoid using the phrase, I am feminist. And instead, we could state, I advocate feminism. Yeah, that's one of my favorite parts in that, in that chapter. It was a real aha moment for me, I think, because especially around maybe my past and being reluctant in some places to declare that I was a feminist, I think that that kind of speaks to some of that reluctance. I am an advocate for feminism feels so much more expansive and and action oriented and i guess has a collective energy to it rather than the selfish individual energy to it Mm. so beautiful that is a good point yeah i agree i mean i'll admit like it is hard for me to detach myself from that identity (laughs) but it definitely has a more collective feel to say i advocate for feminism, you know, and 
Do you ever feel like when you say I'm a feminist that you want to qualify it? So I'm a feminist, but I'm not one of those feminists, or, you know, like of that nature. Or, and in a sense, we probably are because, you know, whiteness oh, is, yeah. is ingrained in us as well. Of course, it's something we have to interrogate and constantly be working on. So that's where like I advocate for feminism. Yeah. Feels and good too. Over time with becoming more aware of intersectionality and using intersectional frameworks and learning from all different kinds of feminists that I do feel more and more like I need to explain what kind of feminist I am. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I also have really strongly identified as a queer feminist, not just as a queer comma feminist, but as a queer feminist. You know, meaning that my feminism is queer-centered. And not all feminism is, right? This is another layer of, you know, another intersection, if you will, right? So, yeah, it, and then there's, there's other oppressions as well, right, when we need to, you know, think about. And, but yet, you know, we chose to use the word feminist to title our academy, right? Yeah. Yeah though it does have a complicated connotation. Yeah. yeah. And it is the right thing to call our program and it is what we're doing and it is what we're advocating for and it is what, what we're teaching and it is why we've invited the teachers that we have to teach on it and to interrogate those different intersections. And we can still acknowledge the messy history, the way it's still showing up in problematic ways and how we might unwillingly uphold that and what we can do about it to, to do better. Absolutely. Yeah. So the problem, you know, with a lot of what mainstream feminism has become is this very, very white, what we call white feminism, right? You've probably heard that term. And it is this sort of white feminism. I, I don't, I'm just sort of, you know, speaking on the fly right now, but, you know, it's like this feminism that wants to be equal to white men and to have the same sort of privileges and power that, that white men have. And, you know, but that does not center intersectionality. It does not center at the intersections. It's deeply problematic too, even for white women, right? Or white folks. And because these systems that white men hold power in are not liberating for anyone. (laughs) No. Why would I want the system that white men have built with the help of white women, by the way? um, Right. (laughs) um, (laughs) I don't want that. Like, I want to tear that whole... I don't swear often, but fucking thing down. <laughs> oh, and have something that, you know, collectively is more equitable and whole and free. And um, yeah. <laughs> so I do want to quote Ruby. Ruby Hammond? Yeah, Ruby Hammond. From her book, White Tears, Brown Scars. I think she's actually quoting someone named Christina in this. And it says, white women seem to believe in 
equality to the point that they are more interested in having the same power and privilege as white men rather than dismantling oppressive attitudes and systems for all. And I think that pretty much sums it up, right? Like, Yeah, 100%. And so this is the problem with defining feminism solely based on gender equality. You know, that's not a movement that everybody can get behind. That's not a movement that's liberating for everyone. And I would say that doesn't, it benefits white folks to a degree, but not entirely. I think that it's as long as, I mean, you've heard this quote, like as long as, you know, other folks are oppressed, we are as well. Like we're not going to be free either, although mm-hmm. hold will hold, you know, lots of privileges. But it's not freeing to be upholding a system of oppression, to be the dominant group in a system, right? Yeah. If you're ready to have a truly inclusive feminist and social justice led business and client practice, then we invite you to join the Feminist Coach Theory Certification Training that is now officially open for enrollment for our next intake. Go to feministcoachacademycourses.com to learn all the details and to enroll today. The link is also in our episode notes. If you're a helping professional or entrepreneur and this podcast resonates with you, then we would love to have you in our community. And then it's also not the solution for, like I'm thinking about white folks, especially here to just simply say that I'm an intersectional feminist happens a lot now. And I know that's something we've talked about before as well. And, and we talked to our advisory board member Desiree Attaway about it on a call too. And Desiree really pointed out the difference between, you know, saying that you're an intersectional feminist and advocating for a feminism that uses intersectional frameworks and Just saying that out loud now, after we've been talking about it too, it also focuses more on the, instead of the identity and I am this, it's focusing more again on that active energy, isn't it? Like on that analysis, on doing the work, on being active, on being accountable to that. Yeah, it does. Which is very different. That intersectional is not a person. It's a framework, right? And I think, yeah, like again, when we remove it from us, an individual identity, we are saying, this is about the system. This is not about the individual. Maybe we can share Patricia Hill Collins' definition of intersectionality here. We've got the intersectionality book. So it is intersectionality investigates how intersecting powers Intersecting power relations influence social relations across diverse societies as well as individual experiences in everyday life. As an analytical tool, intersectionality views categories of race, class, gender, sexuality, nation, ability, ethnicity, and age, among others, as interrelated and mutually shaping one another. Intersectionality is a way of understanding and explaining complexity in the world, in people, and in human experiences. And then there's also that great TED talk, right, by Kimberly Crenshaw, who I think coined the, the term intersectionality, that, yeah, that talks 
to this as well. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, th- that that might be a new tidbit for some of you, right? The 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 whole difference of identifying as an intersectional feminist versus saying using intersectional frameworks hmm. perspectives. So then, how does this relate to coaching and business and you know client practice? Because it does. But let's yeah. briefly talk about that too, maybe. Yeah, absolutely because we're working with people who are experiencing these things. Exactly. Shaping their goals. Uh, it's shaping their approach to their goals for coaches, I'm thinking specifically. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you might and or probably will have at least one client who has a different experience than you, right? Has a different identity than you. You know, whether they are of a different race or a sexuality or whether they have a disability and you don't or they're a different class, whatever it is, right? Or multiple identities and experiences. And so, to really help your clients, or I wouldn't say help, support, be there for, be, you know, a partner, you know, for your clients, with your clients, in collaboration with them. You want to be aware and acknowledge of and acknowledge the experiences that they have instead of ignore them or sweep them under the rug, right? Because they're very important and your clients probably aren't going to feel seen or heard, you know, if the experiences uh, that they have from oppression isn't acknowledged and isn't talked about and if you don't have any awareness of it right and it's hard to go to see a practitioner if you do experience multiple layers of oppression for example it's hard to go to a practitioner who's just not aware of that or is not acknowledging that you just feel like your whole experience isn't being you know welcomed or acknowledged or you know it's and all of you isn't being welcome. And, you know, I think of coaching is acknowledging the whole person and the whole experience and all the layers and the complexities. And I don't think you could do that if you're not acknowledging systems of oppression. Which is what we've tried to capture in our definition of feminist coach theory and also in the different trainings that we're doing in the Feminist Coach Academy. Yeah, absolutely. Should we share that definition again? Are you yeah. all sick of hearing it? <laughs> well, we, yeah, we shared it in the very first episode, but it's possible that folks listening have not listened to that episode and that's totally okay. So yeah, do you, want, do you mind sharing that, Nick? Yeah, sure. I always have it right near me. <laughs> so feminist coach theory is an integrative approach to coaching that combines the practice of coaching with feminist philosophies and social justice teachings. Feminist coach theory adopts a critique of patriarchy, systems of oppression and power to question the different ways we've been socialized and oppressed based on gender, race, sexuality, class, ability, size, etc. And how this shows up for the coach and client in their lives, goals, and relationships with self, each other, and their communities. It employs an examination of the dynamic between self-awareness and social awareness, 
to interrupt dominant ways of thinking and acting, access our inner and outer liberation, expand possibilities and options, identify possible strategies and solutions, and ultimately create new ways of thinking, being, and acting within ourselves, with each other, and in the world. Beautiful. Thank you. You know what what stuck out to me was the word power. And I think that that's really important for folks to take away is when we're talking about systems of oppression, we're talking about power, right? We're talking about Mm -hmm. how certain groups of people have power, right? Certain kinds of power. Yeah, that's really key. Like when we're defining feminism, we're defining patriarchy, and we're defining the other isms, power is always in the definition. It's always part of it. Yeah. And I think to be fully transparent there, it wasn't in our first draft of our definition. It was Desiree Attaway who pointed that out to us. Yeah. Not because we didn't think it was, we just skipped over it. Yeah, which again is like it's an example, I guess, of, of how aware we need to be of these things and how much we need to interrogate them and especially as white folks who advocate for feminism because yeah you're absolutely right that is absolutely critical and and should be in there and thank goodness it is (laughs) (laughs) yes Uh, thanks to Desiree for reminding us (laughs) well this is why we have an advisory board (laughs) Mm. and it's also I don't know I guess another little aside as we said we could keep talking about this forever but just talking about that it makes me think as well around perfectionism and how that holds us back sometimes from doing this work like if we were so focused on perfectionism and whatnot we wouldn't even even i guess started to try and define something like this and how it relates to the practice of coaching and being a practitioner and how we can work with that that's right so i think that's a really good point so yeah it's you know my definition of feminism is not perfection and and i do think the definition is always evolving it's an evolving one you know because you know like we're having conversations now around you know including trans and non-binary folks and i identify as non-binary but like we these discussions, they were happening. I mean, the term non-binary wasn't so much, you know, as popular of a term decades ago. But trans folks and non-binary folks, despite, you know, whatever terms that folks were using decades ago and centuries ago, there have always been trans folks and non-binary folks. And there's always been an exclusion, right? So it's like, but the language is always evolving. And so Mm -hmm. I think keeping that in mind that it's a floating definition, it's it's evolving definition, and that there is no one destination or perfect place to get to. And so that's why it's like, to me, like feminism is, it's a movement that you're always a part of, (laughs) you know? You're always become learning you're a it's a, mm. you're a lifelong learner of what how to to bring about liberation yeah and i think that's really important as well for us to share as you know co-founders of an academy that that works with this is that we're not saying that we're perfect and that we're experts and right. and the <laughs> 
you know, uh, the thought leader on feminism or something, like not at all. And I know we'll have another episode about this because we're constantly learning and and realising things that we're doing ourselves that are upholding or helping to uphold the very things that we're, we're trying to dismantle as part of this work and this vision. And that's always going to be... It's always going to be so. It's part of advocating for feminism. Yes, exactly. Well, I think we will stop there. Um, That's a great segue because um, we do have an episode coming up where where we will be sharing more about what we've been learning and implementing as co-founders into the academy. And we hope that, you know, it'll inspire you as well and that you can learn alongside us too. So right now we have early bird pricing available for our March intake. So we have early bird enrollment available that just is launched today <laughs> for two weeks. <laughs> <Woo-hoo>. <laughs> for two weeks, we will um, let folks enroll with an early bird discount. And then after the two week period, you can still enroll, but it'll be at the regular price. So this is for our March intake. But as we mentioned in our very brief episode last week, that as soon as you enroll, even though March is several months away, you will get access to resources that we have and you can get a jumpstart on reading, on the reading material that we encourage and some of it's required and you know so you can dive in to these resources right away and get started before march so go to feministcoachacademycourses.com to learn more and enroll and the link is also in our episode notes anything else you want to say may that's all okay great Yeah, if you're ready to join, please do. We have had people asking if they can already, which is why, like some people might think, why are you opening so early? March is ages away. (laughs) Uh, But we have had people say that they would like to join now. And if you're one of those people, and it might be lots of reasons why some want to claim credits for you know, their professional development requirements. Uh, Others want to get started on on a payment plan now and helping them manage their finances a bit differently. And we also know that this is a period of like the holiday period where there's a lot of discounts going on and some folks expect that, right? Like they look forward Mm -hmm. to this time and, and this is a time where they can afford things more. And so we wanted to take advantage of that and, and offer a discount during this time for folks who would, you know, be struggling to pay the, the full price. Yes. So join us. We hope you can join us. Um, and we will chat with you next week. Hope you have an easeful rest of your week. Hello, everyone. We wanted to come back and chime in and do an extra short little blurb here because of the U.S. election results. So we actually recorded this episode on what is feminism the day of the U.S. election. 
but you know before we knew the results and any of the polls and any of you know all of that and so because um, you know since then you know we've been looking at national exit polls and you know the breakdown of like voters in terms of gender and race and we're finding that the results really highlight what we have talked about in this episode and so we just wanted to acknowledge that we just wanted to come in and acknowledge that and talk about that a little bit so what are we seeing nay what we're seeing is that white people are the problem <laughs> yes <laughs> very much so and uh, we should probably say as well that even at the time of recording this we still don't know the outcome of the right. election definitively yeah but we've seen enough of the i guess trends of those polls that you're talking about to be able to say white people are the problem yeah. yeah. So there is like last time I checked, the numbers were like 55% of white women voted for Trump and then like 58% of white men voted for Trump. That could be changing as, as we go. But in any case, it's more than half. <laughs> and it's going to yes. be, you know, that's probably not going to change, even though more votes are coming in. And we're not surprised, but it is a problem, you know, and and it relates to to what we're talking about with feminism, right, Nate? Yeah, it, it kind of highlights, doesn't it, that feminism needs to interrogate whiteness and white supremacy. Yeah. And the election results and I'm from Australia, so <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm not I'm not an expert in US politics, obviously, but it doesn't take a genius to look at the those polling results and go, yeah, whiteness is a problem here. And we need to examine that in feminism. And that's basically what we were saying in the episode too. And and this this result unsurprisingly is highlighting that further. Yes. Yes, it is. I think we also talked a bit in the episode, didn't we, about how white women specifically have a tendency to throw black women under the bus <laughs> in quite graphic terms there. But yeah. And so this kind of leans, well, this does lean to that as well. And I know you had a quote to share that probably says that better than, than what, I, what I just did. Yeah. So, you know, we mentioned earlier in the episode, Ruby Hammond's book, uh, White Tears, Brown Scars. And she has a quote in there. So she says, in the aftermath of the 2016 election, Many feminists and writers, both in and out of the United States, including myself, who were expecting a vastly different outcome, concluded that white women who voted for Trump had chosen to side with their race over their gender, that they prioritized whiteness over sisterhood. But we were wrong. These women are not gender traitors choosing whiteness over womanhood. Rather, they are performing their version of womanhood and you know this ruby talks a lot up until this point reminds us about how you know whiteness is and gender go together here right and so it's not so much that you know white women are choosing whiteness over womanhood but that the whiteness is part of the womanhood and that they are performing their version of womanhood upholding this 
ideal woman as like, you know, the white woman who upholds white supremacy, really, right? And and those and patriarchy as well in that it all goes together. And it really emphasizes, I guess, the point that we and others have been trying to make that as an advocate for feminism, we need to interrogate white supremacy and whiteness. Yes, because he also points out in the book that, you know, it's not that white women have been ignorant of being racist. Actually, many of them have been actively racist. They have actively been upholding systems of oppression in a variety of ways. And so it's, you know, this whole like, well, white women don't know any better. That sort of doesn't doesn't fly anymore. <laughs> no. And this whole story before the election of white women are, are changing their minds, the ones that voted for Trump. Well, that's not holding strong anymore either, <laughs> is it? It's something, but it's not, it, you know, not enough, right? No. Not enough. And yeah, so we always, you know, just another example that, Anyone that calls themselves a feminist, you know, needs to understand this, right? We need to understand Mm -hmm. and and we need to look at these numbers. So also in these exit polls, 91% of Black women voted for Biden out of all of the gender and racial groups that they polled. Black women came out the highest voting for Biden. And this was true in the last election with Hillary as well. So, hello, who are the leaders in the movement? <laughs> yes. And we're not, what we're saying here is not anything new to Black feminists. No, no. <laughs> and they could talk to this much better than what we are. Yeah. But I feel like it we, needs we should say it. not like we should say something. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. Which uh, is why we're here adding this imperfect edition to the episode before we know the final results, because we know it's important. And as white co-founders ourselves and as people who advocate for feminism and with a lot of, we know, white listeners to this podcast as well, it's important to emphasize this point. Yes. Yes, it is. Well, as we, you know, I mean, this, by the time this episode comes out, we will have known the results, we hope. <laughs> uh, we're hoping for the best here. Of course, we're hoping that Biden gets it. Not perfect at all, but definitely hoping that he wins it. Yes, and obviously we'll still have a lot of work to do. That's right. Yeah, he is hoping. And we'll probably both hang up now and go refresh the results on our screen <laughs> to see if anything's changed while we've been talking. That's right. And, you know, as our advisory board member, Lena West, told us on a community call that we hosted yesterday, well, by the time this episode comes out, we'll have been like a couple of weeks ago now. But, you know, she said, you know, our feminist businesses go on, right? We still do a feminist business regardless. And it's, it's, and it's more important than ever, she said, you know, this is, this is important. This is part of the work. This is having a truly inclusive feminist business is helping to change some of these systems. A hundred percent. Yeah. All right. That's why we're here. That's right. <laughs> Let's anchor in that and keep doing the work, okay? Yes. Sounds good. Well, we will chat with you again well, next week. And until then, hope you have an easeful week. Bye. 
Thank you for listening. We appreciate you. And if you're interested in our certification training and getting certified in feminist coach theory and learning how to integrate an inclusive feminist awareness and analysis of practice into your work with your clients and your business, please go to feministcoachacademycourses.com to learn all about our certification training and to enroll now for our next intake. We are accepting enrollments for our next intake and we would love to have you join us. Also go to our website, feministcoachacademy.com to grab more of our free resources and to listen to other podcast episodes. Make sure you are subscribed to our podcast in iTunes or Spotify and that you're following us on social media at Feminist Coach Academy on Instagram and Facebook. And if you love our podcast, we would love it if you would rate and write us a review in iTunes. That would be amazing. Thank you so much. Have a joyful rest of your day.